0: Good morning, everyone. We are glad you're here on this Lord's Day. Wow, a packed house. Wow. All right. I can tell that this is a kind of typical Baptist church in which nobody sits up here on the front row, but other than that, uh, Romans 8, uh, we are going to... Focus in on two verses, Uh, we'll be covering the entire chapter to a degree, but uh, our focus will be on verses 31 and 32. So if you please stand for the reading of God's holy word. Romans chapter 8 verse 31 and 32, what then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? Let's pray. Father, we uh, are so blessed by you. uh, This beautiful day that you've given us. Uh, this building to gather in. Father, to gather with brothers and sisters in Christ, we praise you for that. Uh, We praise you for the food that you have provided for us here a little bit later. Above all, we want to thank you for so great a salvation. Eternal life through your Son, Jesus Christ, our Lord. And Father, we pray as your word goes forth that it would go forth in the power of the Holy Spirit. Father, hide me behind the cross. We pray your word would go forth in truth, in clarity, in boldness and out of love. And Father, that the Holy Spirit would move and cause a change among us all here. Sanctify your children. May we be encouraged and exhorted by your word and even rebuked if necessary. Father, that you would uh, prune away any and all things that keep us from From loving you as we should and following your son, Jesus Christ, as we should help us, we do pray. To be those shining lights in this dark world. And Father, I pray on behalf and my brothers and sisters along with me. On behalf of every lost soul here today. We pray that this would be the day of salvation. Oh, Father, that the gospel would go forth. Holy Spirit, breathe life into the spiritually dead. That they would come to repentance and faith and their only hope being your son, Jesus. All to the praise and honor of your glory. Amen. Appreciate the music. Uh, Andy always does a great job. Uh, You guys ever sing Amazing Grace? Amazing Grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. How many people do you know that cannot sing that honestly? How many people do you know Who cannot sing that song with sincerity because they don't know Jesus Christ and they know nothing of His amazing grace. You know, to my knowledge, that's slim. You know, to my knowledge, I've been on this earth for 58 years. And I cannot remember one person ever outside of the church setting sharing the gospel with me. Not one. Think about that. I don't know, maybe some of you could say the same thing. That outside of a vacation Bible school, outside of a church setting, outside of revival, just a one-on-one. Having somebody sit down with you and tell you about Jesus Christ. I've never had that. And my question is why? Why is that? And kind of flip this around, have you ever shared the gospel of Jesus Christ with someone? I'm sure some of you have, maybe many of you have, hopefully all of you have, but have you ever honestly just sat down and, and not only shared the gospel, but your desire is to make disciples, uh, Invest your life into other people's souls? And if not, what are the reasons? What are the reasons why professing Christians? What's the reason why maybe some true believers do not invest their lives in making disciples? Telling people the good news of Jesus Christ, investing their lives to, to to teach them all that Christ Jesus has commanded us. Well, what are some reasons? What are some of the typical reasons given by church members? Uh, a it's not it's not my job to do that it's and not all God's people are to evangelize or to teach about Jesus. You ever heard that one? If that's the case, I would take you to 2 Corinthians five, sixteen, And God's word says, all this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the word to himself not counting their trespasses against them and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. Therefore, we, he's writing to the church in Corinth, right? We, believers, we are ambassadors for Christ. God making his appeal through us, we implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. And then Peter tells us over in 1 Peter 2.9, But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim that you, brothers, you, sisters, you who are in Christ, that you may may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. So that excuse gets tossed away, doesn't it? We are all given the Great Commission. Every born-again believer here has been given the commission to go and make disciples, to tell people the good news, to evangelize them. And again, evangelize, evangelism is simply this, brothers and sisters. It's communicating the gospel. That's all that means. It is simply to communicate the gospel to non-believers and even believers. Did you know that? Evangelism is simply communicating the gospel. That term got hijacked in the mid-20th century where we began teaching as a church, and I don't know how this happened, but you are to evangelize lost people and you are to make disciples of saved people. That was never really taught for the first 1900 years of the church. It's always been about making disciples. And when you go over to the Middle East, when you go to nations outside the United States, they have a better understanding of this. And that making disciples is investing your life into someone else, communicating the gospel to them, loving them, teaching them, setting a godly example for them. That's making disciples disciples. And brothers and sisters, that's what I want to encourage you to do. Because we're all commanded to do it. As we've seen in scripture. Other reasons maybe I don't know how. That could be legitimate. Ask someone. Sit under someone who Evangelize. Set under one, someone who does actually make disciples and learn from them. Ask questions. Go to your pastors and say, hey, we, we, we need more teaching on evangelism. And I'm sure your pastor and pastor would do that if needed. We would love to sit down with you and talk about these things. But there is a, another reason that I find to be more predominant than the first two and even find that it's true about myself sometimes. It's a lack of love and fear for God that leads to the fear of man. A lack of love and fear for Jesus Christ that naturally, naturally leads to the fear of man. What will people think about me? What will my neighbor say to me? What will my boss at work do to me if he finds out? So today, brothers and sisters, what I want us to do is to take a look at this passage of Scripture in Romans, and I want us to take hold of the great truths given to us here in Romans chapter 8 to fuel us to be about investing our lives in the Lord Jesus Christ's great commission to the glory of God. I want to encourage you, I want to encourage myself to be about making disciples and it being a lifestyle, it being a lifestyle, not a program. I know the last thing Dakota wants, I know the last thing I want are programs. We want it to be a lifestyle of living on mission For Jesus Christ. It is to be a lifestyle that you out of love for Jesus Christ and because you love Jesus Christ, you love people, you want to see people come into the kingdom and you want to see those who do come into kingdom grow and grow and grow and be more conformed into the image of Jesus Christ. Brothers and sisters, why have you been left here? What is your purpose for life here on earth? This is not your home. You're here temporarily. You're going to be taken away sooner or later. It's going to be in the blink of an eye in the realm of eternity, right? Heaven is far greater, Paul tells us. To live is Christ. To die is gain. Amen? Brother? Brother? Amen, sister? So why? Why are we here? I'm telling you, it's the same reason Jesus came. To seek and to save sinners. Jesus tells us over in John 15, He tells us over in John 17, As the Father has sent me, I send you. And God the Father sent His Son to come into this world to make disciples, to save His people from their sins, to be His most precious bride. And I'm telling you, brothers and sisters, it's the same Jesus who says, I will build my church. He continues to build His church, and He continues to build His church through His body. Brothers and sisters, we are that body. And what I want us to understand, I hope we get a greater understanding, is that we are left here predominantly to live Christ, to make disciples. It's not to live the American dream. It's not to have your best life now. It is to serve Jesus Christ. It's to suffer on behalf of Jesus Christ. So we don't like to hear that, do we? Especially in this nation, where in a sense we do have our heaven here on earth. May we be more like the Apostle Paul and count everything as rubbish Compared to the surpassing worth of knowing Jesus Christ, our Lord, and knowing Him in relationship with Him, serving Him to the praise and honor of His glory, that His name be exalted, that His name be magnified—that's what we should be living for, folks. And that's what I want us to encourage. You, I want to encourage you to do. So, we look here in Romans. Paul writes, What then shall we say to these things if God is for us? Who can be against us? Well, who can be against us? Well, there's a lot against us, isn't there? (laughs) Yeah. Uh, He's not writing this in a rhetorical fashion in the sense that, hey, nobody's against you. I'm telling you, the entire world is against you. Above all, Satan is against you. Right? Right? The ruler of this world, Jesus calls him over in John chapter 15, 14. The God of this world, 2 Corinthians 4, 4. The Apostle Paul refers to Satan as the little g, God of this world. In a very real sense, it is his world to give. When Jesus is tempted in the wilderness and Satan says, if you'll bow before me, all these kingdoms I will give you, in a very real sense, they were Satan's to give. I'm telling you, brothers and sisters, look and listen to me very carefully. Every institution on planet Earth is under the rule and dominion of Satan. Government, politics, culture, society, the educational systems, all of these world systems, financial systems, all of these financial systems are under the domain of darkness, under the domain of Satan. There is only one and only one institution that is not under the domain of Satan, and that is the body of Christ. You look at what's happening in this nation now, especially economically. And when you look at the 1st and 2nd and 3rd century persecution of Christians, much of it was economically. He rules this world only because God allows him. This world's going to be taken away. It's going to be destroyed. We have a better earth to look forward to. Okay? So, yeah, we do have enemies, Satan. And he is going to use these systems to try to destroy the body of Christ. He's been doing it since day one. He will continue to try to do so. He can't. But he will try and he will try everything and that's why you begin to see. You see it now around the world. I believe we will see it more and more here. We will see persecution of God's people. And those who desire to live a godly life will be persecuted. Who else is our enemy? Well, again, it's this system. It's the world that's against us. It's the world that tries to get us to spend all of our money and everything to make us happy and wonderful and, and great. It's the world that says, hey, you need to do these particular things in order to be accepted, in order to have fulfillment in life. Forget the Bible. Forget Jesus. Forget Christianity. No, what does the social media tell you to do? What do the public schools teach? What is our government currently doing to advance the enemy's agenda? But there is one enemy. That is our worst. And it's our flesh. It is our flesh. Abstain from the passions of your flesh which wage war against your soul. That's what Peter writes to the churches. Your flesh wages war against your soul. Self. The flesh wants to please self. The flesh wants to be comfortable, no suffering. The flesh is willing to compromise. Because I want everybody to like me. The flesh tries to draw us away. Again, it's, it's, it's waging war against our souls. And that flesh tries to, 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 to take away our, our love and devotion to Jesus Christ. And it brings it towards self. I want people to like me. So I'm willing to compromise my walk. I want people to like me, so I'm willing to not do the things that my king, my Lord, my Savior commands me to do. I, my flesh is at war, war against my soul, therefore I am going to try to manipulate here, especially in this nation... I'm going to try to manipulate a path to where I can satisfy Jesus on this hand, but it's not going to cost me too much over here on this hand. And when you begin to go down that path, it's not a narrow path. It becomes a very, very, very broad path. And it's a path... And it is a life that impugns the character of Jesus Christ. So those are our enemies. Yeah, what then shall we say then to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? That's who's against us. That's who is against us. But notice what Paul says. He says, what then shall we say to these things if God is for you? Who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all. How will he not also with him graciously give us all things? See, there's, there's that, that's what Paul is presenting. Who can be against us? Well, we just said it's, it's, the, it's the domain of darkness. It's the devil. It's the world. It's my own flesh. But God is for me, is what Paul is saying. And if God is for me, it doesn't matter who's against me because God is infinitely greater. Amen? amen? Yes, He is infinitely greater than all of our enemies. And that's what Paul wants us to see. He who did not spare His own Son but gave Him up for us all. Jew and Gentile. Jesus Christ. God sent His Son, Jesus Christ. Amen? To save us from our sins. And so when Paul says, what then shall we say to these things? These things are in relation to God sending His Son, Jesus Christ, into the world to save sinners like me and you. These things, what are these things? What's verse 1 tell us? Go up to verse 1 of chapter 8. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus That's those things, these things. Do you realize that, brothers and sisters? What do we have to be afraid of? There's no condemnation. We have been set free from that. Jesus Christ was condemned on the cross on our behalf. That's what we say. There's nothing to be afraid of. You have eternal life because of the Son of God. was nailed to a cross and condemned. Condemned not for his sins, but for your sins. Condemned for your thoughts. The evil thoughts, the evil things, the sinful things, the gossip, the lying, all the evil things that have come out of your mouth, the evil things that you have done. Brothers and sisters, Jesus Christ was condemned. So that there is no more not, there is no condemnation for you. But then I want to ask this question. Do you know this Jesus Christ? Have you put your trust in him? Have you repented of your sins and put your trust in Jesus Christ? If not, you stand condemned already. Everybody loves John 3.16, amen? That's a beautiful verse. What do you think of John 3.18? Those who do not believe are condemned stand condemned already. And that's some of you. How do I know that? Well, the Bible tells me. It's like this. In the French Revolution, those who were condemned because of treason, high treason, they were executed by the guillotine. A guillotine was a very sharp, heavy blade raised several feet up in the air. It was held on by a rope, and when that rope was released, that came down upon the, the, the uh, person's head, and they were executed because they had been condemned. Jesus Christ tells us that those who do not believe are condemned already. I want you to listen very, very seriously, please. If you're not in Christ, if Jesus Christ has not saved you, your head is in that guillotine, that blade is up as high as it will go, and God has a hold of the rope. And He would be right and just to simply... Because you have sinned, you have committed high treason against the King of kings and the Lord of lords. But because you are here, he has yet to release the rope. And the good news is, we're talking about making disciples, right? The good news is because you have been given another day. Today is the day of salvation. That's what the Bible says. That's what God says. Today is the day of salvation. That if you will repent of your sins and believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, believe that he died to pay the guilt of your sin, the shame of your sin, the penalty for your sin and that he arose from the dead three days later, you will be taken out of that guillotine and you will be brought into the loving arms of God where you will be safe and secure forever and ever and ever. And there will be no condemnation for you. There is no condemnation for those who are in Jesus Christ. what Paul's saying. What shall we say to these things? That's true of every born-again believer here. There's no condemnation. What else is there to say? What else? These things. Verse 2, for the law of the Spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. For God has done what the law weakened by the flesh could not do by sending his own Son, in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin, he condemned sin in the flesh. He condemned sin in Christ Jesus. Why? Verse 4, in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us, we now are justified, we have a right standing before God solely because of Jesus Christ, the Son of God, and what He has done by His life and death and resurrection. Amen. You stand justified before God. And then he says what? Who walk not according to the flesh, but according to the spirit. That's true of you. What shall we say to these things? Hey, we walk by the spirit. What else do we say to these things? Verse 13, for if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. For all who are led by the spirit of God are sons of God. For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons by whom we cry, Abba, Father. What shall we say to these things, dear brothers and sisters in Christ? If God is for us, who can be against us? What shall we say to these things? We call God Father. Oh, it's not just simply from the the lips. It's from the heart. You know Him as Father. You experientially, you, by experience, you know Him as Father. And He knows you as His child, as His son or His daughter. Think about that. You're a child of God. If you've been washed in the blood of Jesus Christ, there's no condemnation for you. That would be great if we, if we were only forgiven of our sins. How wonderful would that be? But God doesn't stop there. No, we're His children. We're one with Him. Amen? And if God is for us, who can be against It doesn't matter who's against us, right? These things are... And that's why Paul is laying them out. This is what's true about you. Because of the gospel, because of Jesus Christ, brothers and sisters, these things are what are true about you. He, he goes on. We could spend six months, right, Cornerstone, in chapter 8, but we won't. Skip on down to verse 28. And we know, we know, believers know, those in Christ know. Those who know God as Father know, we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good for those who are called according to His purpose. Don't miss that. Even the worst things that happen to us will be worked out for good. Do you believe that? That's true of everyone who has been washed in the blood of Jesus. What does that do to self and the flesh? It doesn't matter what happens to me here on earth because I know God is going to work it together for good. God withholds no good thing from those who walk uprightly. Who is it that walks uprightly? those who have been redeemed by the blood of Jesus Christ. He withholds no good thing. Astonishing. George Mueller preached the funeral of his first wife. They prayed that she would be saved from the ailment that she had. She died. George Mueller, 19th century preacher and uh, ran an orphanage for over 10,000 kids, preached his wife's funeral. He preached Psalm 84:11. God withholds no good thing from those who walk uprightly. And on that day, he looked at the people he preached that funeral to, and he said, as I read this, as I studied this, as I believed God, I realized it was best for my wife to die. Amen. She's a Christian. To live as Christ, to die is gain. But then Mueller said this, then I realized it was best for me that my wife die because God said so. These things, these great truths in God's word, brothers and sisters, that's what we have. This is the fuel for us to make disciples. This is the fuel to invest our lives into people. This is the fuel to invest our lives into our neighbors, our co-workers, those who want nothing to do with Jesus. And how many of those people do you know that don't even know you're a Christian? Who cannot tell the difference between your life and their life, basically. No, take these great truths, brothers and sisters. Take these great truths. Verse 29 and 30. For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed into the image of his son. That's what's true about you. If you're a born again believer, you are being conformed into the image of Jesus. Verse 30. And those whom he predestined, he also called. And those whom he called, he also justified declared righteous, not because of anything that we've done, solely based upon the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. And those whom he justified, he also glorified. Notice the word glorified there. What do you find odd about that? It's in the past tense. Why? Because if you're in Christ, it's as good as done. It's a guarantee What now shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? Who cares who's against us? All of these things Paul has laid out, and we've gone over them briefly, are true about you, brothers and sisters. That's how he says, if God is for us, and he is. He gave us Jesus. How do I know God is for us? What's verse 32 say? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all. That's how I know. Is this a reality to you? Is this the heartbeat of your life? Is this Jesus Christ most precious to you? What shall we say of these things? If Christ is for us, who can be against us? Well, that's the implication, right? It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter who's against us. And because, brothers and sisters, it doesn't matter, we should be looking to Christ, investing our lives into the lives of others, one another, our neighbors, our coworkers, the people we go to school with. What excuse do we have? Oh, the flesh says no. So? The world says no. I don't care. Satan says no. It doesn't matter, does it? Because God is for us. And because God is for us, we need to be a people about making disciples. We need to be a people that are risk takers. Oh my, it sounds risky, doesn't it? What will people say? It doesn't matter what people say, right? If God is for us, who can be against? It doesn't matter. God is for us. You could line up the entire military of the United States and China combined, and they could not lay a hand on you unless God would allow it. Do you believe that? If you can say, yes, I believe that, then what's keeping us? What's keeping you from going out there and investing your lives in, in other people? We need to be risk takers. We need to be witnesses. The Great Commission in Acts chapter 1-8 says that Jesus tells the disciples, you are to be my witnesses, Right? But what is a witness? Well, oftentimes it's somebody that has firsthand knowledge, right? An eye eyewitness, firsthand knowledge. That's exactly what Jesus is talking about. We are to be witnesses. When Luke wrote uh, Acts 1.8, we are to be witnesses. What is a witness? Someone who has experienced this. Somebody who knows this Jesus Christ personally walks with him. That's a witness. We need to be witnesses to how Jesus Christ has changed us. And he's changed us by the gospel, right? We need to be risk takers. We need to be witnesses. We need to tell some, we need to be telling people about Jesus Christ and investing our lives in their lives as they allow. John Piper tells of Joseph, the Masai warrior. Anybody ever heard that? Joseph, a Masai warrior, the Masai tribe are, lived in Kenya and Tanzania. Joseph came to know Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. It changed him. If you know Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, you know it's changed you, Right? Joseph knew he had to go to his village and preach this Jesus Christ to these people. So he goes. He walks in the village. He begins to tell them about Jesus Christ. He begins to tell them about God. He begins to tell them that we're all sinners, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, and begins to tell them about this Jesus Christ, the Son of God, who God sent to save us, who died on the cross for us. The reaction anger. They got angry with him. The men drug him out of the village. The women took strands of barbed wire, and they began to beat him with the barbed wire. The men drug him on out, left him for dead. Joseph doesn't die. Joseph recovers after a few days, weeks, and begins to think, what did I do wrong? These people need to hear this message, and these people need to be saved. So when he was well enough, Joseph goes back into the village. But before he can basically get a word out, the men grab him. The women take strands of barbed wire, and they commence to beat him again, opening up gashes, reopening wounds. They drag him out because they know he's going to die this time. He doesn't. He recovers enough to stand on his feet, walk back into the village where they immediately meet him again and begin to beat him and whip him with barbed wire. Joseph says the last thing he remembers before he lost consciousness was the women began weeping. They began weeping. And then several days later, he awoke in a nice comfortable bed with this village doing everything they could to keep him alive. And that village was one to Christ. That village, that is investing your life. Now, I'm telling you, brothers and sisters, for most of us, that's probably not going to happen to us. But what kept him going? Why would you keep going back? Because of Jesus, his love for Jesus. And what I want to encourage us is, brothers and sisters, our love for Jesus should be the motive. These things that we just got. We need to to get these things of Christ. We need to get the truth of the gospel. We need to take what's true about us because of Jesus Christ and what he's done for us. We need to take hold of these things. And we, we need to preach them to ourselves daily. We need to be crying out to God, Use me to advance your kingdom. God opened doors for me to, to, so I can invest my life into other people to, to bring them to you, to bring them to a saving knowledge of you. Brothers and sisters, what's he say? He who did not spare his own son but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? He will give you the strength. He will give you the wisdom. He will give you the courage to go make disciples. Think about it. If he gave his own son to die for you, how is he not going to give us all everything else? I mean, it'd be like if I could give you a, a, a $10 million mansion. Here, it's yours. But then you're afraid, oh Jeff, can I have a coffee pot? Am I going to give you a pot coffee pot? If I just gave you a $10 million mansion? Yes. Except these things are infinitely greater. God sent His Son to die for you. He purchased you with His blood. You have been redeemed. And He will give you everything necessary to live Christ here on earth. He will give you everything you need to invest your life into other people's lives, to be making disciples. You need to ask. You have not because you ask not. May we be a people of asking. May the light from our brothers and sisters at Whole Baptist, may the light of Cornerstone Baptist... May the light of our churches around, may the light of God's people shine. And may we take up seriously, may we take up seriously our king's commission. Go make disciples, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit and teaching them. All that I have commanded you. That's our king's commission. May we be that. Not a program, not programmatic, not programs. Lives. Our lives be conformed to this. Our lives be invested. That we would be a people living on mission here in Holt and Kearney and around the surrounding area. And brothers and sisters, that we do it together. That we do it together. That we pray for one another. If a brother or sister asks you to go, go with them. Remember, some of you are going to be planters. Some of you are going to be waters. God's the one who gives the growth. Hand out your tracts. Talk to people about Jesus. No, you're not going to see instantaneously conversions. You may, but I doubt it. That's That's not the way the Bible teaches it. It's as you scatter a little seed, it's as you add a little bit water, God is going to be doing all the work. It may take a hundred believers involved in one person's life before the Lord, that the Lord uses to bring that person to Christ. I want to encourage you to simply be sowing and watering, communicating the gospel, loving people. Do you love people enough to tell them about Jesus? I think you do. May we be about that. May we be used by our King to build His church for His glory. And if you are apart from that body, if you're not in Christ, the gospel has been shared with you. God has graciously given you Another day. God has graciously and providentially brought you here this morning to hear that His Son, Jesus Christ, saves. And that if you will repent, turn away from your sins, turn to Jesus, put your trust in Jesus that He saves, that He died for you, that He rose from the dead, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you'll be saved. You'll be given new life. You'll be given real life. You'll be given eternal life. Let's pray. Father, we, uh, we are without excuse, aren't we? You have given us graciously all things, and above all, you've given us eternal life through your Son, Jesus. Father, help us to put to death the worldliness, the self-centeredness Help us to put away all things that hinder us from, from running this race and that hinder us from shining as lights in this dark world. Help us to get rid of the hindrances that keep us from investing our lives into others that keep us from being about making disciples. Help us. We can't do it in our own strength. We need you. And it is as, as, as we look to these things that you've done for us, as we look to your Son, Jesus Christ, is as we remember and believe the gospel and what's true about us, Father. That's the fuel that you've given us. May we take it by faith. Father, you've given us all, all your believers' talents. May it be said of us, well done, good and faithful servant. Help us. Amen.